0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. It's Curious City, where we take
1: your questions
0: about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore, from WBEZ. I'm reporter
2: Robert Lowerzell. If you drive in the Chicago area, you've probably been stuck in traffic on the Eisenhower Expressway. Jillian Zarlenga sure has. She lives in Oak Park, and she used to sit in traffic jams back when she commuted to a job as a chaplain at Elmhurst Hospital.
0: I had a lot of time sitting on the Eisenhower, uh, examining this huge area of land, thinking there, there must have been a lot of people that lived here before, and I was just curious where they all went.
2: To answer Jillian's question, I'll take you through neighborhoods and suburbs that were transformed or even torn apart by the Eisenhower back when it was constructed between 1949 and 1961. We'll go from east to west along the Ike, which runs almost due west from the Loop out to Oak Park and beyond. As we dig in, here are things to keep in mind. First, the scale was massive. Within the city, 13,000 people and more than 400 businesses were forced to move. Interestingly, Chicago's west side was not predominantly African American like it is today. In 1950, neighborhoods along the highway's path were 19% black, compared with 70% now. Most of the displaced Chicagoans were white, or less often Hispanic. And another thing to keep in mind, back in the 40s, City Hall knew the Eisenhower would uproot thousands of people and hundreds of businesses. But officials still thought it was worth it. Why? Traffic.
0: Will you stop
2: honking, Mac? We ain't going nowhere. This is a movie produced by General Motors. The Eisenhower Project made a cameo.
3: Chicago is moving a city to build an eight-mile-long expressway from the city limits to Michigan Avenue, wide as a city block into the heart of the loop, an eight-lane miracle, which will send traffic through the middle of the main post office building like a special delivery letter.
2: Back then, the Ike was called the Congress Street Expressway because it followed the path of an old street called Congress. Traffic was especially bad on the west side, so that's where the highway builders started work. But first, they had to destroy lots of buildings. Property owners did sue for better compensation, But there was no mass uprising against the demolition.
0: Initially, there was very little protest at all because traffic was such a large problem. People understood that they needed roads. That's researcher David Spatz. He's writing a
2: book on the history of Chicago's expressways. He says city officials weren't just concerned
0: about traffic. Expressways were seen as a a way to kind of kill two birds with one stone, to modernize the city by retrofitting it for cars and for traffic and at the same time clear out neighborhoods that were blighted.
2: Here's one theme from my reporting. Many of the people who actually lived in these neighborhoods didn't think they were blighted. Take Jim O'Neill, who lived on the near west side in the 1940s, the first neighborhood to be demolished.
1: I don't think our our building was run down. And, you know, I've seen pictures of, of the neighborhood it certainly does not look a rundown to me.
2: O'Neill's family lived on Van Buren near Ashland with streetcar tracks in front of their apartment building.
1: We used to put pennies on the on the tracks and then hide behind the cars or hide inside the front door of the building. And then the streetcar would go by and flatten
2: out the pennies. O'Neill says it was a working class area with a mix of ethnic groups.
1: Mexican-American. Um, I believe that uh, there were some Puerto Ricans, but uh, there were some Irish people that, uh, that I had gone to school with. My sister
2: had some, some African-American friends that she used to hang around with. There were some neat girls. But then they started building the expressway. O'Neill, who now lives in Florida, was eight years old when the wrecking balls hit in 1949.
1: It was like we were the last building standing. They they started in the east and came west. Little by little our block came down. I have these vivid memories of these piles of rubble. The workmen would pile up the wood, and there would be these piles of beams that would be burning, and my sister and I would be making these great bonfires.
2: O'Neill's family moved to the south side, and he lost touch with everyone he'd known in the old neighborhood. Now, Jillian asked us what happened to the people displaced by the expressway. No one really kept track of where they all ended up, but we can see patterns. Some people just scattered. Others followed their ethnic groups to different enclaves around the city and suburbs. For example, Mexican-Americans on the near west side ended up in Pilsen and Little Village. In other parts of the near west side, the demolition forced Italian and Greek-Americans to move. Harry Lalagos and his sister, Demetra, live in DuPage County now, but their family was in Greektown until 1959.
3: Everybody knew everybody, and everybody had cousins and relatives that all lived in the same area, so, I mean, it was a very tight-knit community. My dad had a, a, a store down there, a grocery store and a restaurant. Everybody was so close. Our doors were always open. People were just popping in and out.
2: Harry recalls the expressway
3: being built. I do remember the construction equipment, digging down and, and putting in the overpasses. I mean, if you were standing like on the Halson Street overpass and looking west, you would see the overpasses at Morgan Street and Racine, but it was just, you know, just all dirt. The expressway wasn't the only project
2: that tore up Greektown and Little Italy. A decade later, even more people, including the LaLagos family, were forced out when the University of Illinois built a campus there. Greek towns' surviving businesses shifted north of where they had been. Historians say many of the neighborhood's Italians moved to suburbs like Melrose Park, Elmwood Park, and Addison. In the 1950s, as the demolition and construction continued west, it sliced through a Jewish part of West Garfield Park.
3: That was the Jewish west side. There were Italians who lived there as well. Uh, that was really the heart of Jewish Chicago. It was a nice community. There were, you know, a lot of restaurants and shops that, you know, where people knew each other.
2: That's David Satter. When he was a kid in the 1950s, he lived on Congress Street near Pulaski. His family's building was not torn down, but everything on the other side of the street was. Construction was slow and created zones of dead, hollowed-out buildings.
3: I do remember people saying that this was destroying the neighborhood. It was tearing the heart out of the neighborhood and that it demoralized people to have it built there that way. It destroyed the whole atmosphere. In
2: 1959, when Satter was nine years old, his family moved to the south side. A lot of their neighbors went north to other Jewish areas. Satter thinks the expressway was one reason, but certainly not the only reason, why so many white people moved out of the West Side.
3: The Eisenhower Expressway, it made people feel that, you know, it was the end of a of an era. You know, the community would never be the same and it, it didn't make sense to fight to stay there.
2: The city's portion of the expressway was complete in 1956 but Cook County and the state extended the road through the suburbs. Unlike Chicago neighborhoods, the village of Oak Park fought for changes to the highway plans. Oak Park got exit and entrance ramps on the left side, in the middle of the superhighway, instead of the usual spot on the right. That saved land around the exits. In total, Oak Park lost about 100 buildings. According to Frank Lipo of Oak Park's Historical Society, many displaced families simply bought or rented new places elsewhere in the village. Still, the Eisenhower did cause Oak Park some serious headaches. Marguerite Studney lived next to the construction zone. It was five years of hell, to put
1: it very bluntly. And they had a permit to work 24 hours a day. That meant that often during the night, a pile driver was in action. And when the pile driver was pounding, the bed would vibrate. And often in the morning, you'd find you'd have to push your bed back three feet
2: to the wall, where it was to begin with. And that went on for five years. Studney died in 2010. She gave this interview in 2004. That was 50 years after the expressway was built, and she still sounded upset about it. Well, yes, I think it has been a big dividing factor in Oak Park. And I think it's acted like a barrier, and it has split the town up. In nearby Forest Park, 3,500 graves were moved at the Forest Home and Concordia Cemeteries to make way for the expressway. But as the construction continued farther west, it didn't displace that many living people, not compared with Chicago anyway. Here's historian David Spatz.
0: Well, I think it's important to note generally that the city was much more densely packed at that time, and also the suburbs were much less settled at that point. The
2: original Congress Street Expressway was finished in 1961, reaching Elmhurst. Three years later, it was renamed after former President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Spatz says Chicago learned a lesson from the Ike
0: it took so long and it was so difficult. I mean, you, you're, you're seeing no tangible results from all of this destruction. The traffic is still terrible. A lot of people were displaced. And so there was a good bit of bitterness about the inability to actually carry out these projects quickly.
2: The city built more expressways, the Kennedy, the Dan Ryan, the Stevenson, By the 1960s, when Chicago considered building a north-south Crosstown Expressway, there was major opposition to the demolition and displacement. Protests were a big reason City Hall killed the Crosstown. After all, the Eisenhower and the other superhighways didn't exactly create the utopia General Motors had envisioned in the 1950s.
3: This is the American dream of freedom on wheels, an automotive age. Traveling on time-saving superhighways, free-flowing channels of concrete and steel.
2: I bring our questioner, Jillian, to the studio, along with her baby daughter, to talk with historian David Spatz. And they end up reflecting on the
0: ironies. It was, it was uh, congested the day it opened. wasn't the idea of the Eisenhower or the Congress was to help people get to the city, and instead it ended up with people fleeing the city.
1: Yeah. yeah
2: Want to learn more about the construction of the Eisenhower? We've collected photos from the era and I explore whether the Ike changed the racial makeup of the West Side. That's all at wbez.org/curious city. Reporting for the story came from me, Robert lorzell Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.
0: Hi, this is Curious City editor Alexandra Solomon. Just a quick note this story was originally released in 2016. Remember, you can ask your questions about Chicago, the region, or its people at curiouscity.wbez.org.
1: Next time on Curious City. Chicagoans don't always agree on how to pronounce certain street names. Many long-term residents call a particular street Gothy, But the CTA announcer calls it Goethe. But sometimes the CTA sides with classic Chicago pronunciations like Polina or Des So how do they decide on the pronunciation? Find out. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.